Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the hockey show where everything's made up because the hosts know nothing. I'm Stuart Jones and with me is Darren Plett. Hello. We're recording this at about 2 o'clock on January 12th, 2019, so everything we've said is probably already wrong by the time you hear it. It's already wrong by the time we say it normally too, so... That's also true. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, uh, Darren, do you want to give a quick explanation as to what exactly this is for anyone new that might be listening? The Battle of Alberta podcast is a hockey podcast that focuses mainly on Alberta's two hockey teams, the Flames and the Oilers. And the reason for this is because Stuart is from near Edmonton and is a lifelong Oilers fan. And I am from near Calgary and am a lifelong Flames fan. So we are also both not generally full of hate towards the other team so we can provide a somewhat positive and unbiased look at both of the teams but we do both have our allegiances henceforth therefore whence they're the battle of alberta all right fair enough that was a solid explanation so on the point of allegiances uh for those that were listening to the last episode i feel the need to apologize for one of my many not well thought out remarks Uh, Oilers fans who listened heard me say, I love me some Flames too. Let me clarify that point. My interest in the Flames comes nowhere close to my love for the Oilers, but above my love for Oilers is my love for hockey of all stripes and colors. So because of that love for the sport, I simply do not have it in me to hate my rivals as many expect me to. But... For the sake of this show, I will make every attempt to cloud my judgment with bias and spite for the sake of our dear listeners. Mm -hmm. Get your hate on. Yep. On that note, though, the jokes I utter at the expense of the Oilers, that's my defense mechanism because I love them so much, so those will definitely continue, so get over it. Yeah, it's like watching a drug addict struggle for, what are we coming up on, 20 years now? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's been some time. Uh Uh-huh. Then the old boys club. I don't know of a metaphor to tie that into the drug addicts, but maybe the drug addicts' five hockey-playing parents are all very supportive of their habit. That's all I got. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting analogy. All right, moving on. (laughs) That was going to go nowhere good. (laughs) So uh, let's take a look uh, back at our scorecard, which will kind of rank how well we did with our predictions. We're actually recording this a bit later than we intended because... We actually recorded it once and, you know, audio issues and things like that. So we're trying again. So we have a few games that we did not have time to predict, but uh, we'll we'll cover that as well. But anyways, last time we recorded and last time that people heard what we recorded, uh, we were predicting the remaining games in December. And for the Flames, Darren, you had said that they would win eight out of their remaining 11. Mm -hmm. And I had said they would win seven of their remaining 11. Yes. Their actual record for the remainder of December was 6-3-2. So we were both pretty close. My pessimism won me out slightly. Um, For the record, we're calling that 6-5 because overtime losses are losses. That's that's how that works. Yeah, we're really just uh, considering... Number of wins is really all that we're predicting. You get a sad, pathetic loser point, but we don't count that as a as a win. Well, I would say that all of our points are sad, pathetic loser <laughs> points. <laughs> if you, the Oilers, every single point is a sad, pathetic point. Well, I just meant like me and you, but yeah. Oh, that too. okay. Anyway, <laughs> so we both did uh, pretty decent on that, uh, and so far in January, the Flames are also 5-1, and one, so even better than... 
they were in December and, you know, more in line with what we were predicting they would do. The Oilers, on the other hand, Darren, you said they would win seven of their remaining ten, and I said they would win their uh, six of their... That doesn't sound like something I would say. Well, I have it written down, so that's worth nothing in court, but... Regardless, we were both quite off. We were both too optimistic for the Oilers, who to thunk. And their (laughs) actual record was 3-6-1 for the remainder of December. I consider that a win-win scenario for me because either they win a bunch and my prediction is correct, or they lose a bunch and I'm just a happy person because go Flames. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I consider that a loss-loss because I was wrong and they did poorly. <laughs> uh, since the end of December, they've been 3-2 and two in January, so that's definitely much better, but uh, we'll get into more of that with our reviews. Also, we predicted the score, or we predicted the outcome for the Battle of Alberta that took place on December 9th. Both of us had said that the Oilers were going to win, but it was going to be a close and high-scoring game. <laughs> Two out of three. Two out of three ain't yeah. bad. It, high-scoring, it, uh, if you can recall, it was a one nothing game. Yeah. So, close, yes. Oilers won that one nothing game. Uh I think I think it was still probably a safe bet to go with high scoring, but I don't know what happened there. But yeah, it definitely should have been high yeah. scoring. <laughs> totally agree. It was not a particularly entertaining game. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we didn't do too bad on our scorecard for the last month, uh, but we'll see if we can improve on that next month. How about uh, some more detailed reviews? Do you want to start us off with some reviews of the Flames for December and the first half of January? Absolutely. Uh, for December... I think that record is kind of misleading because I think they played really well and they picked up a lot of points. I mean, if we're going to go loser points, I could I could expand on loser points a bunch, but they did pick up the six wins and then two extra overtime loss points and then three losses. So it's kind of more like a seven, seven and three, seven and four. Is that how that works? I don't, I don't know, but the record was quite good i think they played quite well and i also think that the high record at the beginning of january is also misleading but in the opposite direction which is why this team is kind of confusing me because the last few games they have won but they haven't looked great they've kind of been doing comeback wins in the third period or giving up bad goals and hanging their goalie out to dry but managing managing to outscore the other team not not dominating them by any means. I'd say the Florida game, which happened just last night, um, I didn't get to watch all of it, but from what I read and what I saw, they were kind of pathetic for most of the game, and they just managed to get enough goals to just win. The Colorado game, they definitely didn't play the whole game the way they should have, and they just pulled that one out too. So I think the Flames are actually kind of starting to trend down. I think that we're seeing them get used to winning, and in any league, getting used to winning isn't really a good thing, in my opinion, because you try less, because you think you're great. So while they're piling up points, that is terrific. They need to keep doing that, because I feel like at some point they're going to go through a mini slump, a couple losses, few losses maybe even in a row, and then the coach is probably going to kick them in the butt and tell them to get going, and then they'll pick up the point space again. But for right now... It's kind of they're floating along, relying on goal scoring and Riddick to be amazing, and their defense is kind of lackluster. Not just the defensive players, but the defense of the whole team is 
kind of hard to watch at points. So it's good that they've been banking points, but I'm getting prepared to be disappointed coming up soon with their effort. So you think that uh, 5-1 in record in January is actually kind of inflated and not nearly as good as it looks compared to the 6-3-2 and two in December, which doesn't look too great, but you think yeah. is much better than it looks. Yeah, and you have to look at the quality of the competition too because um, Florida has lost quite a few lately. Colorado was on something like a five-game losing streak, and at the end of the game, McKinnon, their star player, was losing his mind at the coach. They're going through a tough stretch. Right now in January, their schedule is pretty easy. Philadelphia was the other game in January that they won, but it wasn't pretty. And Philly's also lost quite a few in a row. So Calgary's scraping by against not very good teams. So I'd consider that an indicator that they're kind of trending down. Whereas in December, it was they were hanging in and beating, most of the time, very good teams. And they were very good, entertaining games to watch. So... That's why I kind of see them. They did well in December. They're piling up points, but the, they've hit the crest and they're about to go for a little dip here. As far as the Oilers go, believe it or not, I'm not too worried about that uh, December record of 3-6-1. and one. And that's really just because uh, both Russell and Clefbaum uh, were out for all six of those losses. Not to mention Sekera, who's been out this whole season. Uh, and they're now two and one with Russell back in and they're three and two in January so far. So obviously they're already starting to turn a bit of a corner. Clefbaum and Sekra we may see returning uh, after the All-Star break. So again, that should really help them turn around. I'm actually not too worried about the team. However, it seems that Peter Torelli was worried about the team at the end of December they're there. Very worried. Yeah, so he made a couple of, uh, I guess, interesting is the word I'll use, interesting trades. What, do you think he's worried about the team or his job? Fair enough. He's probably more worried about his job, so he's kind of doing things to make it look like he's doing things. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was some interesting results of those trades. Basically, uh, one of the trades he made right at the end of December was we got uh, Alexander Petrovich, who's a young defenseman. Uh, he's had a good couple of years this year eh, so far. Uh, now he's out with a concussion, but you know, that's not his fault. That's just bad luck. But what we gave up for him was Chris Weidman with a 2019 third round pick. He was also a young D. Uh, he was with the Oilers for only five games and had two assists and a minus two. I feel like he deserved uh, more of a chance to prove himself. And we just paid a conditional 2020 pick to get him uh, back in November. So now we've given up yet another pick for at best a lateral move. I'm not a GM. I don't have the wisdom and foresight of a professional general manager so maybe he sees something i don't but to me that seems like a bit of an odd move but the other trade even more so uh we got robin norrell or norrell i'm not sure i haven't heard much about him so he's a prospect nothing fancy but you know we'll see again maybe gms know more than i do but we also got brandon manning who our dear captain, Connor McDavid, is quoted as calling him classless because, uh, as most of you probably know, uh, Connor McDavid had his collarbone broken in his rookie season. I believe it was broken anyways. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, it was broken. It was, it was in pain. It was injured. <laughs> uh, and it was injured due to uh, some incident on ice with Brandon Manning, and McDavid basically accused him of being intentional about it. So, yeah. So that's uh, an interesting dynamic there. Uh, Chirelli actually says they spoke to McDavid before pulling the trigger on this trade, 
and that McDavid was okay with it. But I don't exactly see McDavid as someone to say no to his GM. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the type to, at least right now, to be like, no, I don't want that guy on my team. Is he still... What, is he 21? Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's still pretty young and seems like a pretty quiet guy yeah, off quiet the ice anyway. Guy. So, yeah, I'm not sure how much stock I should take in that comment. But uh, that's what we got. What we traded for these guys was Drake Kajula, who is easily a solid third liner, uh, second liner on the Oilers. Uh, and he seems to be still be improving, too. Um, sure, we have goal scorers, obviously, on our team, but not that many. And he was really our only sort of depth scoring option. So interesting that we gave that up. But we also gave up Jason Garrison, who's another defenseman fairly equivalent to Brandon Manning, I think. Um, he's had good numbers in the past. He's kind of slipped recently, but again, he could have got more of a chance to prove himself. He actually had a plus one before he was dealt, and Oilers have three other D with a positive plus minus, and two of which are Russell, who was injured, and Clefbaum, who is injured. So, mm-hmm. again, giving up the, a positive defenseman for, you know, again, lateral to maybe at best move, it, it doesn't really make much sense. So if the point was to, like, pay the fee of Kajula to shore up our D, Garrison seems better than Manning, particularly if you factor in the potential for bad team dynamics with Manning and McDavid. So, again, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but who knows? I will provide my very minor two cents in that Jason Garrison has actually signed in Europe since that trade. I don't think he was actually very sought after. I haven't watched him nearly as much as you, so take that for what it's worth. But the other thing is, Shirelli also added salary in these trades. He lost draft picks, and he added salary, and the Oilers don't have a lot of cap space. They have not really a lot going on in their farm team, and they have not very much cap space, and what Shirelli has done is made them have less cap space and less picks to bolster that farm team and added defensemen that aren't very good from what I've heard and seen. Yeah, there's definitely other factors that are questionable about these trades, too. Um, And, yeah, Garrison, uh, he actually no-showed to his first practice um, when he got traded, so uh, after Mm. being traded. so And since then, I yeah, he's signed elsewhere. So I don't know if it's just he didn't want to go where he got sent or or what exactly is happening there. Did he no-show Chicago or their farm team? Like, did he get waived or what happened there? Do you know? Yeah, I, I think he it was the farm team he no-showed. That makes sense, because he is an older player. So Yeah, so it's possible he just didn't like the move. He didn't like the fact that he was sent down. Uh, it, it's possible that you know he didn't have the greatest attitude, and Torelli kind of wanted to get rid yeah, of him. I, you know, there there's definitely factors that we don't know, but uh, it didn't seem like there was an issue with him before the move, so who knows? Who knows? Not us. So now we'll move on to our segment that we call the Sellies and Scorns. We're Selly and Scorn. We we, we in plural or singular? <laughs> well, I guess each of us has a Selly and each of us has a Scorn, so we could go singulars, right? Pl- pl- plurals. Pl- <laughs> plurals. <laughs> let's let's uh, start this. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so now we're going to move on to our segment that we call Sellies and Scorns, where uh, Darren and I both pick a couple things from sports or the world in general from the past month or so that we've kind of noticed and would like to either scorn a little bit or celebrate or one of each. Do you want to get started? Yeah, I do. I got a I got a good Selly. My Selly is about Zebulon. Of course, who I'm talking about is Elias Lindholm. If you're thinking, wow, why would Darren give him such a weird nickname that has nothing to do with anything? That's not a nickname. That's his given middle name. His name is Elias Zebulon Lindholm. That could be a Selly in itself, because that's amazing. I... I'm going to call him Zebulon from now on. Actually, what I've decided to do is I've decided to let you know why he's such a Selly. And I'm going to tell you that from now on, Lindholm is not Lindholm. He is Zebulon. Because Lindholm was a regular person in Carolina, Carolina Lindholm will be henceforth known as Elias Lindholm. And Calgary Lindholm will be known as simply Zebulon. So the reason I am so excited about this guy is because... Prior to coming to the Flames, boring Elias Lindholm had a career high of 17 goals. But Zebulon, this year, after 46 games, has 21 goals already for the Flames. And to add to that, boring Elias Lindholm, for the Hurricanes in his whole career, had a career high of points of 45 over 82 games. But our dear friend Zebulon already has 52 points in half of the season for the Flames. This guy is a different person. He is no longer Elias Lindholm. He has transcended a regular person's name, joining Johnny Hockey and I don't really have a don't really have a nickname for Sean Monahan. Johnny Hockey, Zebulon, and the guy with the fantastic hair on that line. So my celly is for Zebulon. All hail Zebulon. I hope he continues this because that trade already looks like a crazy steal. This guy has equaled his points in half the season. He's on the road to doubling, doubling his, his points. points. Yeah, he's on pace to double his points. That's crazy. Uh, my scorn, I'll, I'll get you to paint a little mental image for yourself. For everyone listening, just look up dreamily into the sky and imagine your father trying to be a goaltender for an NHL team. Can you picture that? Imagine Ovechkin shooting a one-timer at your dad who's flailing his way across the crease and probably injuring himself on the way. That's what I see when I see Mike Smith. Now, I'm sorry, Dad. You're a good dad, but I don't know that you'd be a great NHL goalie. Uh, neither is Mike Smith right now. He's hard to watch. He kind of flops all around. He's NHL old, which is 36, 37. That's not real people old. He's he's still like a young, you know, spry guy under 40. But in terms of sports, he looks like he's really lost it this year. He doesn't, he used to be very athletic. He used to be able to make those crazy saves where he dove across or the flailing looked mildly under control. Like that's what he meant to do. But now it looks very awkward. It looks like he's kind of injured. He has trouble pushing off from side to side. Maybe it's injury, maybe it's age. And... Honestly, you don't trust him in net anymore. I don't like watching games with him in net because you just feel like something's going to go in that really shouldn't go into the net. So he's my scorn. He is kind of relegated to backup goalie, but even then, when he gets into the net, there's zero sense of confidence for the team. So my scorn is Mike Smith, everyone's father in the NHL net. Yeah, it's uh, kind of seems like his age is caught up to him much sooner than he expected or even that the Flames expected when they picked him up. Uh, it, I'm wondering if uh, he's almost kind of 
hiding or stifling an injury because yeah. he knows he's towards the end of his career and doesn't want to give into that just yet. If you happen to watch a game, I'd like and you can actually see him moving from side to side when he pushes off from his post. If you were to compare it, like I've compared it to last year and years prior, he's very good. He's a big guy. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so his pushes off, really, he can really like fly across the net, but now it looks like he's hampered in his movement. Like He doesn't get nearly as far. He's really deep in his net because that way he doesn't have to push off as much. And uh, that's kind of why those soft goals are going in is because he's so far back in his net that there's a lot of space to shoot at, at least from what I can see. So I would agree that from what you said, it kind of looks like he's nursing an injury. It's probably not major, but it's it's something that he's trying to hide or trying to ignore for the rest of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting if... Uh... He's willing to see the writing on the wall towards the end of the season because I'm sure the Flames probably won't be re-signing him. Uh, so whether he will get his agent to look around for other options as a backup somewhere or if he kind of tries to go out with some dignity and grace and chooses to retire at this point. I don't think the writing on the wall is metaphorical. I think that someone will come down to the dressing room and write, Mike Smith, we're not re-signing you on the wall, and then he might get the point. <laughs> you are fire <laughs> and old good luck in your next endeavor <laughs> love bradshaw living <laughs> yeah all right well my scorn this week is actually uh andrew ferens and i'm sure people are wondering why the heck i would bring up a player who's been retired for at least five years now something like that well uh Shortly after we record our first episode, uh, Ferentz was on Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts podcast, which, by the way, if you listen to only one podcast on hockey, make it that one, because that one is so much better than this one. Yeah, it's like professional even, Yeah, know, with professional hockey people that know stuff. Right, and good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you're to listen to two podcasts about hockey, well, there's probably still other better ones out there. We'll take the second slot, though. Yeah, yeah, like or third, fourth, whatever. You know, just listen to all of them. You if got, you, you got to time. Hockey podcasts. You have a problem, and you need to check that out. Sure. Yeah. True enough. On that uh, episode, during that interview, he talked about the uh, bad attitude of the Oilers dressing room during his time there. And while I'm sure there's some truth to it, and whether he exaggerated or not, or whether that's just exactly what was happening, it seems to me, since the team is basically an entirely different one now, there's very few people left from that roster, it's kind of like useless gossip at this point, and there's very little to be learned about it. Yeah, we've already heard some issues with attitude with some of the players who have been sent away for that reason, or for a combination of reasons. You know, just kind of bringing it up now doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just kind of seems like schoolyard gossip. That being said, my celly for this week is Andrew Ferens, And that's because during that same interview, he also discussed some really good points, I thought, about how the fans and the media in Edmonton, and this is no by no means exclusive to Edmonton, but it is a problem in Edmonton for sure, how the fans and media can make playing or coaching there just incredibly difficult. He often used the phrases whipping boy and raked across the coals. He liked to mix his metaphors a bit there. All two of them. Yeah. Amazing. And he was, you know, referring to uh, guys like Petrie and Schultz and uh, Eakins even as a coach, how the media and fans just kind of treat these guys very poorly, like as people, as opposed to just 
you know, commenting more on what they're doing, they're actually, you know, treating the people poorly and how that makes it so much more difficult to play there and to be a positive influence in that room. And again, this isn't unique just to Edmonton, but it is very strong there. And I think it was, it was a good reminder for everyone, myself included, to be willing to just criticize the play and not the player so much. You know, personal attacks do nothing to benefit the team or the city or the community. It really just creates a poisonous atmosphere. So, you know, I think we could all do much better at... Uh, improving our attitude around that kind of thing yeah that reminds me of the Troy Brower situation he never played well in Calgary and he had kind of a lucrative contract and when they bought him out the headline in the Calgary Sun was get out of here with a huge like the front page says get out of here with a big old picture of Troy Brower on the front yeah you can dislike his play and the fact that he makes a ton of money and didn't bring much to the team but running a full page like headline on this guy running him out of town. I mean, it's not native to just Edmonton or mm -hmm. even just Canada, but it's definitely magnified here and we can be way too harsh on athletes. That is, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyways, uh, it was the uh, December 10th episode of that podcast and uh, we'll link to it in our show because it's definitely worth checking out for both Oilers and Flames fans. Mm -hmm. uh, as he also talked about the 2004 Flames Cup run, uh, as well as some interesting conversations with the Ginla and others on the team bus. Uh, he brought up some interesting fun facts about that kind of stuff. So great listen for uh, anyone who's interested in both those teams. Yeah, that's true. He was one of the few to play quite a few years with both teams, in fact. So he would have a lot of good stories from different eras of Flames and Oilers history. And now it's time for the news. There's an all-star game. Rosters are a thing. Google it if you care. And that was the news. All right. Well, now's the time of the show where we make some predictions about the near future for our beloved teams. Uh, I think what we'll do is make predictions leading up to the All-Star break. So basically to the end of uh, January, because then we would get started again in early February. Yeah, teams combine their CBA mandated break with All-Star break now, so it, it it's a week and a half almost that they're off, which is quite a bit of time to go without hockey, I would say. Yeah, we're going to have to like take up curling or something in that time. Okay, well let's not get too carried away. <laughs> that's that's a bit drastic, I would say. Do you want to start with the Flames? Sure. My prediction for the Flames would be for them to go 3 and 2 because they have five games. I kind of have to go with what I said at the top of the show, which is I'm expecting them to go for a bit of a downturn. Not complete belly flop, because they still have some pretty weak opposition. They've got Arizona, who's not playing well. Detroit, who's bottom of the league. Carolina, who's not playing well. I don't expect them to completely you know, crap the bed and play horribly, but I also don't expect them to be cleaning house, even though all the teams they play are not the cream of the crop. And for my Oilers prediction, they play six games until the All-Star break. I will predict them to go three and three because they have looked very inconsistent. They could lose one game four nothing to the LA Kings and then they'll come back and they'll win four nothing against the Anaheim Ducks. So you don't know quite what you're getting with the Oilers these days. They could blow someone out of the water or get blown out of the water, and I don't want to predict the scores, but I will predict that they will go 3-3 three and three 
and it will be completely unpredictable what kind of game it is going to be on any given night for them. Yeah, I'm uh, in a very similar boat to you for both counts. Uh, for the Flames, I was thinking about going 3-2, and two, but yeah, I was looking at those teams, and that kind of outweighed their downslide in my view. So I think they'll probably get four out of the five. Uh, that might be a bit optimistic, but... Yeah, those uh, the opponents it just doesn't seem very strong. It's easily something unlucky could happen yeah. and turns the whole game around. So, so yeah, I think they're going to take four out of five for the remainder of the month. Uh, the Oilers totally agree. Uh, they're turning around a bit, but they've still got some issues for sure. They've still got some injuries, and as much as they're playing the same easy teams as Calgary, they're not as easy for uh, mm-hmm. the current Oilers team. So I've also have them at 500 okay so i think uh we should have some sort of tiebreaker in place yeah, that's a good idea maybe uh how many of those three losses will be ot losses oh i see how it is we're actually including our most hated <laughs> our, our loser point yeah. yeah i i think it would be good a good tiebreaker okay so you mean for the oilers how many ot losses yeah just because just on the oilers because we both made the same prediction basically how many of those three losses do you think will be ot losses well i'll let you go first because i went first on the on the overall record so i'll let you pick what you think all right i think we will be lucky to get one (laughs) out of those three so i'm gonna say we're gonna get one ot loss out of that Okay, I'm a Flames fan, so I'm okay taking two overtime losses because it always seems like the teams in your division somehow lose every single game that they lose in overtime. So, yeah, definitely two overtime losses. All right, sounds good. So, last but not least, though, we have another Battle of Alberta coming up. Uh, Yeah, we do. This one in Edmonton on January the 19th. What do you think is going to come of that? I think it's going to be a Flames win. I think that this is going to be the one where they kind of wake up. I mean, I'm hoping this is going to be the one where they kind of wake up. To me, David Riddick is a big game kind of guy. He's not going to just let the Oilers roll over the flames. He, I mean, he held the game. He was in for the last battle of Alberta where it was one to nothing. And if the flames had even, like, taken a half-decent shot towards the Oilers goalie that whole game, they might have had an actual game. Riddick can hold them in anything. So I expect flames to come out firing, and I expect it to actually be a blowout. I, I'm thinking at least a three-goal win for the Flames. I'm seeing the Oilers do their Jekyll and Hyde shtick right now, and I'm thinking maybe the Flames get get bounced themselves, and Bill Peters wakes them up and says, hey, we're going to play our rivals coming up. You don't want to lose to those guys. And then the Flames come out like we know they can play and absolutely hang the Oilers out to dry in the Battle of Alberta. Yeah, that's uh, completely fair. Um, I would agree that I see the edge going to the Flames this game, uh, especially with uh, bombs still out. Uh, that's going to be a, a key loss for the Oilers, uh, trying to defend against the Flames' high-scoring power. But that being said, I think the Flames kind of bring the best out of the Oilers. And uh, when the Oilers play at their best, they are closer to the Flames at their best. Uh, They just don't play at their best very often. (laughs) So I think that it'll be a much closer game. Um, I think, you know, one or two goals, you know, with an empty net or something like that. Uh, I I am also going to give it to the Flames, but I think we're going to have a closer game than three goals. So Okay, that's fair. McDavid can basically get the Oilers very close to the Flames by himself. Yeah, exactly. That's (laughs) pretty much what I'm counting on. 
All right, well, at this point in the show, we uh, have our sort of mailbag thing idea. It's mm-hmm. just a concept right now because we don't have any mail. A theory. But if uh, any of you feels like reaching out to us, you can uh, hit us up on Twitter at PodcastBOA, or you can uh, reach out to us directly if you know us personally. And we'll give you a shout-out on this critically acclaimed podcast. Yeah, for sure. What more could you want? Critics love it. Critics, including our parents and such. Uh, so yeah, feel free to shoot us some questions or some comments or suggestions, uh, criticism, feedback. We'll take it all. We're pretty thick-skinned, right? You might be. If you send us criticism, I'm going to come find you. Yeah, well, I I will just cry in the corner and then okay. and then pretend I'm thick-skinned. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, we hope to hear from you. Uh, until next time, uh, we'll be uh, signing off. Uh, our theme song is "Lose Your Head" by Apache Tomcat. Uh, I've been Stuart Jones. And I'm Darren Platt. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side of the rink. Hail Zebulon. Hail Zebulon.